Hello and welcome to another edition of the Moving Iron Podcast. This podcast is proudly provided by Axon, helping dealers move more iron for almost 100 years. Find out more at axontire.com. Axon was started almost 100 years ago out of a passion for keeping agriculture moving. It's that same passion that drives them today. With a vision for a better experience for both farmer and dealer, they set out to create a better way to move more iron. When you partner with Axon, you get immediate access to a full range of products and solutions designed to meet the complex needs of today's grower. Axon carries all major brands and sizes of tires, wheels, and tracks. From custom colors and sizes to fully customized wheels, you can have the solution for virtually any problem today's farmer is trying to solve. To find more or become an Axon dealer, please visit axontire.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Valley Transportation. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. This podcast is also brought to you by AgDirect. No matter how you buy your ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, AgDirect can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Moving iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving iron time and time again. Through the years you'll find us here. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Axon Tire, helping dealers move more iron for the past 100 years. For more information, go to axontire.com. Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 or go to valleytransinc.com for all your trucking needs. At Valley Transportation, our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You can even apply online at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Sean is with Hackett Financial out of Boca Raton, Florida, and he's nice enough to come on a couple times a week to talk about what's going on in the market. So, Sean, how you doing, man? I am good. Never better. And I'm so excited to be going to North Dakota tonight. So. Well, you picked the best time to do it because it's not very cold there today. So, if you, there's no cold air coming through there at all, so you should be just fine. <laughs> well, it, it actually is going to be, for North Dakota standards, you know, a minus five or minus eight isn't the coldest it can be there during this time of the year. So, I, right. I, I am blessed... Uh, for the uh, the blowtorch uh, temperatures, right? That's so. like uh, that's like saying it's cold in Florida when it's forty. So I mean, it's, that's it's a relative term, right, Sean? <laughs> well, last week, I had customers telling me it was thirty seven below. So I'm thankful it's only eight below. Yeah. So <laughs> you'll you'll have a nice a nice time while you're there. So speaking of eight below, uh, tonight's low here is I think it's negative five or something like that. So we're gonna get yeah. we're gonna get a taste of that cold weather. Um, obviously the the uh, the cold air that we hear out there right now is is something we've talked about quite a bit on here. In your last report that came out, you talked about you know some serious cold weather coming through your neck of the woods down there, where you had you know some freeze and stuff like that. So give an update on that on that citrus belt down there and what kind of damage you saw from that cold air. Uh, I mean, we had uh, the way citrus or orange trees work, Casey. If you have between twenty eight degrees and thirty two degrees for uh, four hours, that's considered a soft frost that can hurt 
leaves, branches, and and it frees up parts of the tree. Um, and, and that impacts the following year's crop, the following year's flowering. So that's an impact to the following year. Now, what's different about orange trees versus coffee trees, coffee trees, a frost, even a hard frost, doesn't hurt the current production. It only hurts the future production. But in this case, because it's a fruit crop, you can actually damage the fruit if you get below, if it gets 28 degrees or less for four hours, you actually could damage the fruit and you can act uh, hurt current production. So when we look at uh, what took place, 50% of the citrus belt here in Florida received a soft frost. Um, and of the orange crops that have not harvested their fruit yet, about 15% saw a hard frost. Okay. Um, where, um, so so about 50% of the fruit was harvested up to this point. 50% was remaining to be harvested. Of that 50%, about 15% was damaged. The fruit was damaged. So it was. A, it's a serious event. It's the most serious event we've had in 12 years, Casey. And we are going to see lower production for the current crop. And we're certainly going to see lower production for following year's crop as the flower will be hurt by this freeze and I and it, and it looks to me like there may be potentially another one of these to come later in February there's I think this could be around two uh, later in February that may impact uh, uh, Florida uh, so we'll have to just wait and see but so far it definitely was an event that will have a material impact on the citrus crop overall I mean obviously we grow grapefruits and and uh, strawberries and tomatoes and all these other things that were hurt as well but certainly uh, it was a meaningful event. So. Yep. Okay. Also, in your last market <coughs> market uh, uh, report you sent out, you talked a little bit about natural gas and, and that um, some of this bitter cold that we saw could come in. There's some there's some opportunities to where you can see some some effect of the natural gas as far as from, as production goes in Texas and Louisiana. So so kind of talk about what you're seeing there. One of one of the bearish things about natural gas because we had that big run up. On Hurricane Ida, uh, you know, in that in that late September, October, early November timeframe, uh, it got some of that low-lying fruit production back online very quickly, and so that has been um, limiting a little bit to some of the drawdowns we could have had had Hurricane Ida not occurred and we kept prices lower for longer. But it looks like from Thursday through Monday, we're going to get a really, really intense. Uh, cold air mass in Oklahoma, Texas, and the Deep South. This is what happened last year mm -hmm. uh, in February when we had what they call freeze-offs, freeze-outs of the natural gas wellheads. Um, you also get seizing up of the uh, windmill power uh, generators. You know, in terms of the uh, the blades, uh, you know, don't spin; they they get frozen. Um, and so, what you have is you have production can be off as much as thirty percent in those areas that see these freeze-outs. Um, and of course, then on top of it, you see record demand. Remember that the Deep South represents about 45 to 50% of fracking natural gas production. So it's very, very significant area. Um, and uh, so it looks to me with that setting up, you know, that we could be looking at drawdowns of three or 400 million British thermal units here for the next couple of weeks. Uh, similar to what we saw last year, and, uh, and that really starts to knock those uh, storage supplies down. Uh, you know, we were already we're already we're drawing them down 200 to 250 a week now for the last 
several weeks, but we should be able to get that to three or 400. So we start to worry now, Casey, we're starting to start to worry that how low are these supplies going to get now if Sean's forecast is correct and this cold weather continues into April and possibly into May, um, you know, this becomes a little more serious and natural gas prices, you know, made a big surge here this past week. Um, big, big surge on this. And so, and, and like Florida, Casey, I don't think this is it for Texas in the deep south. I think we could have another one of these freeze-out events later in February. So we get another one of these, a second one of these. Remember last year we didn't get a second one, but if we get a second one of these, it's going to get really, really serious. So our forecast is playing out, albeit it started a little later, but January just super cold, and now February, you know, getting super cold in the deep south. Um, and all the patterns that we see, all our natural climate cycle work that we're looking at says this is a persistent pattern. Um, you know, it, it looks like we're going to have a, you know, a top five cold February, and, and it doesn't look, look like this is going away in March either. And remember, we'll be getting more snow, mm-hmm. uh, more precipitation. Now we're going to get a big snow ice event, you know, in the, you know, in the, in the, in the eastern section here. And, and so it's just, it's just nasty. And, yep. uh, and, and, our, and like I said, we don't see that ending. We, we think this is going to continue and, uh, and support our forecast for a late-ending winter, late-spring frost, chaotic planting season, difficulty with, uh, you know, Kansas's hard red winter wheat, post-dormancy, all these things we've been talking for a while. It looks like we're really on the table for all of this. And our, uh, you know, our, our work and our forecast, albeit a little late, is definitely starting to verify in this event late this week is another sign of that verification so okay all right so sticking with energy uh you know soybean crush rates have been through the roof here since you know really i mean you go back to october november december they had you know record record crush rates and then now they're talking about record crush rates for corn ethanol so as you take a look at corn ethanol which isn't something we've, we've really talked about for a while what are you seeing there, and, and how are you seeing that influence what's going on in the corn market right now? Look, as long as, as oil prices are high, mm-hmm. they say, you know, $80 a barrel, 85 right. 88 as long as, you know, we're gas, you know, demand for gasoline is strong. Remember, heating oil is through the roof right. uh, because of all the cold in the Northeast. And so heating roof has just exploded higher. Um, and, and so, you know, that's going to keep demand for ethanol very, very strong. Um you know, I mean, you know, predicting crude oil is always difficult because there's a big geopolitical component to it. But it doesn't look to me <laughs> that the geopolitics um, are calming down anytime soon. So overall, I mean, we're I, th- I think the you know renewable diesel on bean oil mm-hmm. for for soybeans and the and the, and the uh, ethanol production for corn, you know, I, it just looks to me like the whole biofuel area demand picture looks pretty strong. At least through the end of the spring, until this winter maybe calms down a little bit, we get a get a break from some of this high demand we're seeing. So, so, you know, I mean, certainly that's nothing. That's not new news. The USDA has incorporated uh, some of that into their numbers, but it probably has not incorporated all of it. When we look at the numbers, it looks like they're still too low, Casey, on some of their expectations for, you know, how much demand for corn, for ethanol, and how much demand for soybean crush. For bean oil, it still looks to me like they're a little low, and that means the ending stocks that the USDA currently has 
are too high. And I think the market may be sniffing that out with some of these rallies that seem to be going higher than even weather would suggest, you know? Okay. Let's flip over here and talk a little geopolitical stuff for a little bit. We've got, uh, obviously, the tensions in, in Russia and Ukraine. Uh, nothing's really changed there. Um, everything points towards Putin's surge into, into uh, uh, Ukraine, just basically looking at, <clears throat> at what he's doing at the border with all the troops and the massing of equipment and those kind of things. Um, just, he keeps adding more and more every day. So I don't know that he's... He's either looking for someone to call his bluff or he, they're going to move forward. So it is what it is there, and that have a big effect on wheat. But I guess as you take a look at that situation, and then China's kind of backpedaling on, on the phase one agreement a little bit here, um, which I guess is no real shocker. I mean, they've, they haven't really been that forthright in the phase one thing anyway to start with. But I guess as you take a look at Let's start with China first. As you take a look at China and the phase one thing and what they have going on there, um, the talks and back and forth with, with various trade agreement um, parties from China and the U.S., they're really at a stalemate there, and you know the U.S. is saying you need to hold up your end, and China's saying we will if we want to. So I guess what is what is your what's your thoughts there? What are we going to do about it? Exactly, right? <laughs> There's nothing we can do about it. It's, it was, yeah, so... I really believe the whole premise was incorrect to begin with. To force somebody to buy from you, I never understood the concept, why would you force anybody? Either they need you right. or they don't need you. Right. And if they need you, they're going to buy. They did buy from us like crazy when they needed us. When they needed it, yeah. Um, and if they need it again, they'll come and buy every single bushel we have again. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I think global supply and demand is what it is. U.S. is part of that. Um, if they choose, they want to buy more from South America. If it's available, they, have, mm -hmm. they should be free to do so. So... I, I, I think at the at the end of the day, you know, any time that you're trying to put protectionism in, price controls in, restrict exports, force purchases, anytime you do those kinds of, of things, it, it it's not it actually in the long run it's not a good thing. It actually hurts the market more than it helps it. Um, healthy supply and demand is better. Um, and I don't see, I, I think, you know, they, they've been less, you know, their buying has been less this year than last year because, you know, maybe they have some better crops and, and they don't need as much as they, as they did. And, you know, they want, you know, a hard liquidation, reduce some of their feed demand, but they'll be back when they need mm -hmm. it. I mean, yeah. I have no doubt when, when the hog herd rebuilds and need a bunch more corn, sure. they'll, be, they'll yeah. be taking offers out here in the spring. So I'm not worried about grain demand from China. Um, they need to buy from us. They will buy from us. And uh, the only thing that we need to be uh, mindful of is to make sure that as an agriculture industry, we are as efficient as we can, uh, we produce as much as we can, and, we are, and we're opportunistic as we can to take advantage of this weather volatility and geopolitical volatility to our advantage. Um, you know, that's, that's the bottom line with all of this. Yeah. So. Some of that phase one stuff almost felt like China was signed up and said, you will do it. That way, when they did need it, and we said, hey, you know what, we're not going to sell anything right now. They were like, hey, no, whoa, whoa, we have an agreement. You have to you have to sell it to us, you know. And we had this agreement thing going, and, and now you're, 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 uh, you're reneging on your end of the deal, you know. That's kind of what it feels like almost sometimes with this phase one thing. Yeah, you know, I, uh, why they signed it, you know, I mean, they probably signed it because they weren't sure it was going to happen. Maybe Trump was going to get back in if it was. Right. You know, was Trump was much more of a, a belligerent leader in terms of, uh, you know, his his way. And um, That's well put, yeah. Good job. <laughs> so there was a whole, who knows why they did it other mm -hmm. than 
They're going to buy if they need it. They're not going to buy if they don't need it. In terms of the, the, the Russia thing, look, I don't think it's any secret that Russia and China are sort of trying to come together to work as friends to be put on a front against the U.S. and the Western uh, pushback. And I'm looking at the Olympics about to start. Yep. And I can't imagine China wants anything to take away from focusing on the Chinese Olympics for the next three weeks. Right. So I just can't imagine that China would really want um, Russia to go and invade and create this massive political firestorm and countries boycotting Olympics and all the bad imagery that would produce. I just I have to believe a phone call was made from Z. Mm-hmm. to Vladimir mm-hmm. and said, you know, why don't you just wait three weeks? Just wait, wait till the end of February when this is over and go do what you want to do. I just have a feeling they're just not going to do anything until the Olympics are over. As, as, we, as stupid as that may sound, I just think it's true. And so, so some of this weakness we've seen in wheat over the last two or three days, I think it's just the traders, the short-term traders saying, they ain't going to do anything until the end of the month, so, why, so let's sell and we could come back at a guns of blazing at the end of the month when they're going to when they're actually ready to come in mm-hmm. and invade. Yep. And so I think right now the geopolitical is off the table until the Olympics are over, for at least for Russia, the Russia situation. And of course, you know, China isn't going to do anything with Taiwan until the Olympics are over either. So I think after the Olympics, Casey, I'd be really, really worried and focused on a geopolitical escalation of maybe, you know, Russia going into Kazakhstan and Ukraine. And then, and then simultaneously, Russia, uh, China, China going into Taiwan, Taiwan. Yeah. Yeah, at the same time. I've been looking, that being a possibility for March, it create some chaotic conditions for a while. So. Yeah, no, that's for sure. That is, that is for sure. So, all right. Lastly, let's sit here. Let's talk about a little bit what's going on over in the cattle complex. Um, cattle prices have, you know, Rebounded and you know a little bit, and they've got there's some softness there. But um, even on the on the hog side, um, like you talked about, this first quarter being a little bit soft, moving into more of the March time frame when things would pick up a little bit, we're seeing a little bit of that that happen in the trade. So when you look at the the protein complex, what are you seeing there? Well, uh, we got this report out yesterday, Casey, and I, I don't want to misrepresent it. Uh, just give me one second here. Okay. But it, it's really it dovetails into what we've been saying. In our in our reports and our podcast and on your show um, about the declining supply of cattle going forward in the U.S. on um, how that's going to lead, we think, to a considerable uh, increase in cattle prices from the spring onward um, as we go along. And, I, and this, this is important. This is kind of like the pigs report that came out, you know, like a, it was a month ago when they showed that the hog herd was at the lowest levels and like eight to ten years and we have not been rebuilding the hawker despite high prices um and that's since then that's put a bit in the hog market and the hog market's been starting to go higher we got a similar report yesterday where is it here ah here it is so uh, this is the biannual cattle inventory report as of january 1 um Obviously, you always have to be suspect about anything coming out of the USDA, but these reports tend to be fairly accurate, Casey. We have found that, these, at least in the, in the livestock business, these these quarterly pigs report and these biannual cattle reports are pretty good at counting the animals, okay? So all cattle and calves uh, works for, uh, as of January 1, 2020, were 98% of last year. 
the low end estimate was at for 99% of last year, which means that we're a full 1% below in terms of the number of animals we're supposed to have on hand on January 1 versus the low ranging estimate. And then it goes down, it goes over all the different categories. But bottom line is we have a whole lot less animals at 22 than we had in 21 and, and looks like much lower than even the lowest, most bearish analyst was, was anticipating. So that is, you know, you don't turn the cattle cycle around by slapping your fingers. I mean, that is a going to be a permanent feature for the next 12 to 18, even 24 months. And that means so long as demand doesn't collapse, you know, we don't have some kind of a grand recession, depression, you know, financial crisis, as long as we don't have something like that go on, the demand for beef is going to remain strong. And the whole throughput problem, the packing house problem, the we can't bring the animals through because we got Omicron, we got, we got the Delta virus, no one's coming to work, that's off the table. And you're going to have to bid up for these animals, Casey, um, and, and, and create a move, you know, like we saw back in 2013-14, we have a runaway advance, a parabolic move uh, to much higher levels. Remember, what we've been seeing the last two years is parabolic rises in the beef price, but a very depressed cattle price because of the throughput problem um, and, 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 the, and the herd liquidation problem because of the drought, you know, the high feed price, the, the livestock producers are forcing to sell, putting too much animal, too many animals on the market. That's ending. And so we're really excited. And if you looked at yesterday, uh, you know, livestock was, I mean, if you look at the feeder cattle market, we were up almost four, three to four points. So it looks to me like that report there might have put in a good low here on the cattle line. We're pretty excited by what that report means, not only in the short run, but in the long run. And it, and it confirms our suspicion that we've been saying that we're going to have a whole lot less animals than, than a lot of people are thinking about. So I really, uh, I really view that as a very important benchmark and something we were looking for to confirm our bullish thesis for cattle prices in 22. So. Yep, right on. Well, good stuff as usual, Sean. Folks want to reach out to you, get more information about what you're doing at Hackett Financial. What's the best way to do that? Uh, Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com is our website. Lots of information on there, Casey, for people to see what we do, to see if we could be of help to your listeners. And remember, prayers are, are appreciated for my trip to North Dakota. <laughs> I pray you have a coat. That's what I, that's what I hope. <laughs> <laughs> Leave your flip flops at home. So you don't need, you don't need them. <laughs> right on, Sean. Well, I'm Casey Seymour, Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you find the latest editions of the Moving Iron Podcast. Also, go to movingironllc.com for all uh, things Moving Iron related. If you're interested in going to the Moving Iron Summit coming up in Nashville, Tennessee, September 6th, 7th, and 8th, make sure you check that out at, at uh, movingironllc.com or send me an email at movingironpodcast at movingironpodcast. Com, and I will get you all the information that you need. So with that, I am Casey Seymour, Sean Hackett. Let's go to some iron, folks. Out. You want to have a meaningful competitive advantage to help sell more equipment. Whether you represent the sales, parts, or management department of an implement dealership, there's a surprising amount of complexity when it comes to tire, wheel, and track technology. Let Axon worry about that so you can get back to supporting your customers. Axon has leveraged years of experience to create a streamlined process that gives you a proven path to help today's grower and sell more equipment. The roots of their organization go back almost 100 years to the invention of the rubber tractor tire. Supporting agriculture is the number one driver of Axon from product development through sales and service. To find more or become an Axon dealer, head over to axontire.com.
Valley Transportation has been hauling ag and construction equipment across the country for the past 33 years. Call Parker at 800-657-4910 for all of your trucking needs at Valley Transportation. Our goal is to help you reach yours. And no matter how you buy ag equipment from a dealer, auction, or a private party, Ag Direct can help you finance it. You can even apply at agdirect.com. Learn more about your financing options at agdirect.com. Hard working people working hard for you.